Hey guys, it's Autumn. It's Katie. And uh, before we get into this week's episode, we just wanted to uh, encourage you to come back next week because here's the thing we talked a lot. Not <laughs> a, a lot. lot. Like a lot. A lot. Which is a good. Lot, it's a, lot. a good thing. It's a good thing. Yes, there's a lot of really good information and perspectives that are coming your way in this episode. So um, we we went way longer, but we didn't want to cut it off because we felt like it was a really valuable conversation to have. Um, so uh, that being said, we have halved it. Halved it. We have halved it. Why you gotta go with nine pants? Every I time. always love the like. I'm sorry. So. Um, Tune in this week. Uh, watch. Tune in this week. Watch this week's episode. episode. <laughs> I'm struggling. Watch this week's episode, and then watch the follow up next week. Yes. And uh, you know, so we can get the full conversation. And thank you, and enjoy the podcast. What's up, you guys? It's Autumn. Katie. And this is Seriously. Seriously. Seriously, seriously. We're back to this damn Zoom. <laughs> we can't win. Although I'm not gonna lie, super convenient. It is convenient, and that's why we're here. We're we're here because we got for you know, we got an extra little party over here in the corner. I like it. I like it. This, this guy. This this guy. Um so in, in order to be able to get everybody together at one time, it was just easier for us to do a Zoom call. Um, but we do want to welcome a special guest today. Yes. What's up, Wes? Hi, Wes. Hey. Good afternoon or evening. Good afternoon. Well, Good listen, evening. So, it's on Yeah. Well, here's the thing. You're, our, you're literally our first guest appearance. Well, see? You're number one. Now, now it's special. You are. Really feel special, you should. You should. Now, I, I want to say something about your shirt, but you know I got to be smart first because I see that the colors are green and white. Now, I appreciate your shirt, but I'm glad that you didn't wear that other nonsense. Well, so the, the shirt is an F racism shirt. It's uh, one of my buddies I grew up with. His name is Aki Times, and this is his business it's uh f racism just like it sounds.com you can go on there and get different t-shirts and paraphernalia so he's a good guy um and is again a believer in uh, people and trying to spread the love message i see your shirt love me some jesus so he's a he's a person that loves all people and, and wants everybody you know to uh, spread positivity so that's why i wore a shirt and it is in my eagles green so wah, wah. don't nobody care about them mother Eagles. <laughs> I'm racist against the Eagles. Now what? <laughs> is that a thing? <laughs> uh, probably. It is. It is. Just Cowboys fan, yes. Yes, yes. A Dallas fan. I do kind of have some silver, some gray, something. We, something. Anyway. It, I know. I'm trying. I'm doing my best. Um, so anyway, uh, we appreciate you being on today. Uh, today's episode is part two uh, from last week's episode, uh, where we are talking about all the things that are going on in our nation right now, um, which is a lot, a lot. Um, but we thought that a good follow-up 
to last week's episode would be to incorporate the law enforcement aspect of it, since that is hugely, obviously, a part of what has uh, propelled all of this stuff into the main, um, to the spotlight, the mainstream. Um, racism has always been a thing. Um, and I don't even necessarily want to say <clears throat> race. I just, just so many, there's so many pieces and aspects of it. And I, and I, I feel like a lot of people, and that's why I, said, I don't necessarily want to say racism, because I feel like there are some issues or things that crop up with law enforcement um, that don't have to do outright with racism. You know what I mean? It doesn't mean that every single police officer that there's issues. Sometimes it's, it's, and we've talked about implicit bias, things that you don't even realize. It's not a conscious, I'm consciously racist. That's not true. Um, but there are some, some things that uh, are underlying in all of us that do affect the decisions that we make and, and we don't even necessarily realize it. So um, certainly not calling every single person on the planet who has ever had any sort of an issue uh, a racist because that's, that's not the case. But anyway, um, so I guess we can just jump <clears throat> right into it. Well, first, Wes, yes, like, properly. <laughs> I was going to say, if you could kind of give us your background so that people know who you okay. are and where you're coming from. All right, well, I'm a, a young man. I grew up in the city of Wilmington. Um, grew up in a single uh, parent household. My mom raised three boys. Um, went to school in University of Delaware and also at Delaware Tech. And then I was hired in 1994. <laughs> um, oh. And I spent 25 years, yeah, I'm, I'm up there. Uh, I, did, I spent 25 years, uh, my last four or five years as a police sergeant. And my best assignment was um, I was the commander of the community services unit. So all of the community outreach, uh, whether it had been uh, going to like community meetings and listening to issues and um, problems in a certain community and, and allowing those residents to voice their opinions um, and just to hear their voices and then try to put um, you know, strategies in place to help solve those issues um, was probably my, my best assignment. And I had, you know, great crews, um, great officers, a uh, very diverse group of officers that worked with me in that unit um, that I wouldn't change and I, I would work with them again if I had to. Um. So anyway, to kind of open this up, I think the biggest thing and part of the reason why I asked you specifically, aside from you, uh, being retired and being in a place of, of being able to maybe speak a little bit more freely and honestly about some things. Um, and, you know, you being the homie and everything um, was because, <laughs> look, I said it on tape. Now I can't take it back. I can't take it back. <laughs> um, was because uh, you are a black male. For, and for those who cannot see, um, because sometimes people are just listening to the podcast, Get your head out the camera. Oh, that is aggressive. Yeah, I like it. We should all do that. No, we should not. <laughs> I, I refuse. Um, <laughs> but you being a black male and being law enforcement, and I think that that's, um, and we kind of touched on this in the last episode, that I said, you know, being in public safety and being black, you straddle the fence. You're in two, you're in both. So, you know, you're on both sides of the fence that I'm black and I understand what the black community is, is, is talking about and going through and directly affects me. But on the flip side of that, 
I'm also law enforcement and, and good law enforcement, you know what I mean? And understand what that is like. And you have obviously worked next to people, as you just said, who are very good at what they do and love their job and, and take care of their community. Um, but you're being faced with all of these images and perspectives. And, and what is that like? What, what feeling is that? How do you keep that balance? Well, I think the, the first thing, I mean, obviously I can't change the, the, the fact that I'm a black male growing up in um, a environment that wasn't always welcoming when it came to an officer being a black male and being an officer. Um, people always want to choose a side and they don't really think that you have or possess that, like that's discernment, right? That you can say, no, I can be a positive black male and I can be a great officer and then try to marry those things, they, those two things together to try to make a difference. Um, and it's the same old thing, right? You've asked, if you ask anybody, and I'm sure you, you know, you sit through um, interviews and oral boards for, you know, hiring people and, you know, it's the old thing, like, why do you want to be a cop? And, you know, I, like many people, wanted to help people, wanted to make change, wanted to make a difference. I mean, the main reason, and I don't know if you know this, Autumn, I haven't shared this with a lot of people, but the main reason I became an officer was because an officer, when I was growing up in the city, was rude to me and my friends. And we were all honorable students and, you know, never did drugs, right. you know, we didn't drive. So, um, you know, the reason that I chose the law enforcement uh, profession was because, um, again, officer was rude to me and my friends. Uh, we were hanging out one night because that's what you did in the city of Wilmington. There was a certain spot that you would go to, uh, you know, athletes hung out there, you know, just popular people hung out there. Um, and there was a fight that we weren't involved in, but they were dispersing the crowd. And, you know, the officer basically came up to the car window of my cousin's car, was rude, was cursing at us. And then he took his business card, I'll never forget it. And he kind of did something with it and he took it out of his pocket and he flung it in the car. And I just, as a backseat passenger watching that, and you hear about incidents like that, but actually being a part of it and seeing it, I was like, man, I said, you know, I'm gonna become an officer and I'm not gonna treat people like that. So. Right was kind of like my driving factor um, as, why, as to why I chose to be an officer. You know, I had an uncle that was an officer and he was like, no, go, go out. Because you, don't, <laughs> you know, you don't want to deal with people that you grew up with. And you right. know, I had a lot of people that I hung around with that, you know, didn't do the right things and right. judged them. And, um, you know, throughout my career, I would run into them. They would speak to me and, you know, we would keep it you know, pleasant, you know, right, we, right. trees, but keep you know, it moving. And I stay over here. Right. And, yeah. and, you know, but I never judge them or stop, you know, when I would go visit my mom in town, who she still lives there. And, you know, a lot of those guys check on my mom, you know, till this day. So I never, you know, disrespected them or stopped speaking to them because I chose a certain profession, but we kind of had that mutual respect. And I think that was part of the reason why I was able to, to be so successful at it because I never had that pressure where people would just stop talking to me because I was. Right. So. right. 
So in, in this, in this climate, do you feel like people are forcing you or trying to force you to choose a side? You know what I mean? So first of all, social media is like the devil. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, and I know, and, and we friends on Facebook and I, and I see uh, how diplomatic you try to be. <laughs> how, how you try to say things while still, you know, maintaining. And, and I, I appreciate you. I, I see, I can read between the lines. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but my question is, do you, do you feel like people are kind of, um, you know, wanting you to side with one side or the other? Absolutely. I think, and when you say I'm trying to stay diplomatic, I'm trying to, one, and, 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 and just, just know this, and, and this is a big part of um, the reason I've been able to, to be hopefully successful in, in law enforcement was I never felt like I had to disrespect those who don't understand law enforcement. And I'm definitely not going to disrespect, you know, my law enforcement brothers and sisters because they are my family. Right. You know, you know, you grow older, you get to high school, college, and you choose a career. Like my law enforcement family, like they are my family more so maybe than some other folks who are just Facebook and things like that. Right. However, still don't want to offend anybody. Everybody has the right to their opinion. Um, but I, I think they do try to put some unjust pressure to try to force you in because you're black and because a lot of these incidents um, on the surface, a lot of them on the surface um, appear to be racist. Some of them are. There, there have been a couple that could be, right? You know, based off what we know. Mm-hmm. But there some that are just, you know, police incidents that some of them happen to involve men of color, African-American men, um, and white police officers that kind of go wrong. Um, and again, like we, like we chatted before, I, you know, I don't necessarily think any of us racist, but when you add the climate and you add the fact that you get like this incident out here in Minneapolis that you have an officer with his knee on somebody's neck when we all know I've never in 25 years been to a training that teaches that, that teaches that maneuver. Right. Uh, We know that that's dead wrong. And I think what's happening now is you have officers that are still working like, Hey, listen, this is too much because that's putting pressure on us now. That happened in Minneapolis, but that's putting pressure on us here um, because it kind of affects everybody. Right. A lot of people are just speaking out about it. Um, But there's some pressure. And I just try to, I try not to choose a side. It's like, you know, right. And, you know, what's honorable as an officer and what's not. And, you know, it's something that each officer got to figure that out for themselves. And you got to hope that in the process, you don't make a mistake or you don't end up on somebody's camera doing something that you shouldn't. So, so, so can I tell you, and I'll let, you know, Katie obviously jump in where, 
um, on some of the things that you've saying or saying. Um, can I tell you where my frustration comes in um, from? Uh, I think because obviously being in public safety, you know, I have a lot of law enforcement friends um, and family and, and, you know, all those different things. Um, and I, and I've said this before, I love law enforcement. I mean, that's, you know, I, I, or I shouldn't, and I won't, I guess I shouldn't, let me, let me step away from it and say that um, because law enforcement is um, an entity, right. Or, or, or an organization. I love people who are law enforcement. Let me say that. Okay, because I think that that's a more accurate statement. Um, that I know a lot of very good people who are law enforcement officers. Um, so, uh, but what I find difficult in this moment is this culture or this inability for people who are law enforcement um, to say that certain things are wrong. It's almost like an inability to say, and nobody, just because you say something is wrong doesn't mean that you're saying that you are wrong or like everybody's wrong. It's saying this thing that happened, like that's wrong, right? But it feels, it almost comes across as they feel like they are betraying their, you know, mm -hmm. brothers and sisters by, by calling out something that wasn't right. And that's what I have a difficult time with because it almost feels like this whole thing of, you know, you know, fraternity and sort of like we, we going down to the debt. We'll talk about it behind closed door, whatever, but we, we all going to have a unified front in front of everybody. And it's like, just because I say this is wrong, doesn't mean that I don't support law enforcement. So that's where I'm having a difficult space with on um, my feed and with some of my friends is seeing this, uh, this thing of, um, you know, police lives matter, blue lives matter. And, you know, I support my law enforcement. And, it, and it's like, well, nobody's saying that you don't. This ain't even about that, right? No, two things can exist in the same space and still be true. There could be good law enforcement officers. You can support law enforcement officers. And, and something bad could have happened. Like that, both of those things can be true in the same space. So, um, you know, I don't know what your thoughts are on that or Katie, but that's something I think that I have been struggling with lately. It's almost this like refusal or inability to be able to say something is, something is wrong and we need to fix it. Well, and I'll just jump in for two seconds here. You know, I, I, the big narrative that's out there is it's like you just said, it's now everybody's taking it very personal as law enforcement, people are taking it very personal. And if it were just one law enforcement agency that we were discussing, then that would be the case, right? Then somebody would have the meet, the reason to be defensive over their spot and their position. But this isn't just isolated. This is everywhere. This is what it has come from 400 years ago to when, you know, back in 18, I don't correct me on the date, when the 13th Amendment was created, that's when you started seeing mass imprisonment of Black people. And then you just translate that on further and further until, you know, Nixon, Reagan, Clinton, you name it. And then it just became this thing. So police got tied into this from the get-go. Like, this isn't new. This isn't new. And I think that's the other part of this problem. Like, it's not that this is, this is front and center now. This is what we're seeing now. But that's because we're, it's here. It's but it's not that it's not been happening. So I guess my question, too, would be, you worked for a very reputable agency. You worked with really good people that had um, morals and ethics in a, in a place that it was supposed to be, where it was centered around human beings. 
but what is your thought about police reform? What is your thought about what you see going on now? Where are your thoughts with with that? I, I, I'm not on Facebook, so I can't speak to what was said or what was <laughs> diplomatic. I totally get it. Lucky, um, lucky you. Yeah, yeah right? Oh, that's, the best, that's the best decision you made. <laughs> Let me tell you, look, I, I see, I, I follow a lot of people on Instagram. I've had to unfollow a lot of people on Instagram, lost some friends because of my opinions on this. And it's not even, I hate to even call it a mother effing opinion. It's right or it's wrong, right? Like it's, it's that, uh, like I get it. And I, I think the, the line in the sand isn't necessarily if you're for or against police officers or if you're for or against law and order. I think that, you know, the, the oath to protect and serve is there, but in some cases we have just gone so far to the wayside. But again, if it were isolated and it was only right here, or it was only in this agency, but it's not, it's, it's widespread. So I guess to, to, to ask you that question, um, you know, what, what are your thoughts on, on that aspect of it? As far as, where do you see the bigger issue being across? You, you said you didn't go to a training where they taught you how to put a knee in somebody's neck. Where does that come from? Why do people do that? Why do law enforcement officers feel like they need to go that extra step and, and become that? So uh, let, me, let me touch on, I, I think the, the, one of the most important things is we got to talk about is, right, this idea of, um, the thin blue line, right? Mm -hmm. And I think some people take that statement um, to like the a hundredth power. That's fair. The, the thin blue line. They, 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 they are my brothers, right? right. Uh, you know, they are my sisters. And yes, when you're part of that fraternity, it's an elite fraternity, and you know you can go to anywhere and and you know, run into an officer and greet them and let them know that you're in law enforcement. And, and most of the time, you're 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 you're, you're going to be well received. Yeah. You're well received, and you know, welcome with open arms. Um, I've even stayed at officers' houses based off of that 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 relationship. And I, I think what what ha what's happening now is much like the Black Lives Matter, All Lives Matter, right? It's you know. All, some officers, um, like you said, Autumn, in this machine called law enforcement are separating themselves into this blue lives matter, right? Like there's no blue people, right? <laughs> um, and, and I say that, you know, me, you know, I try to keep stuff light, but you know, right. there's no, no, no blue lives, but that's, that's the way that, you know, some people like with the racism stuff, you, you separate white and black and Hispanics and, um, you know, Mexican families. And, and, and now to add on to that separation, now you got people saying, well, the blue families over here, separate, right? You know, we're, and uh, to answer part of your question right now is, so years ago, um, we started doing community policing. Community police and the whole premise behind it is officers being part of the community, not separate, right? But you know, when you when you do 
uh, community policing. Um, and then let's just say, you know, the Mike Brown incident happened, um, you know, that affects you, you here. Um, and then now this, this happened. And then a couple other things like Trayvon Martin incident, but you know, Zimmerman was not a police officer, but people lump him in with law enforcement all the time. And um, community watch groups are not law enforcement. They're basically citizens that are basically eyes and ears. But because um, it was shortly and not too far after or before Mike Brown, you know, he gets he gets lumped in there with the Tamir Rice, where you know the Chicago officers just pulled up on that young boy, and you know he had no he had no. That's a whole another topic. But, no, no shot, right? You know, you pull up a little kid, has got a toy, and no, the officers don't have that luxury of knowing it at that moment. But you have to ride right up to them, they, and, and you don't give them a chance to, to communicate or anything. Right. And you kill a kid, right? That affects everybody nationwide on law enforcement because it looks like you have no patience with young black boys, right? Um, so you got this idea of, you know, we separate black and white. We got the blue lives over here, uh, you know, and it just has created this separation that police and even now you'll see it now. And if you, you get Facebook and go on my post, you'll see, you know, you got uh, you know people taunting officers and you know responding harshly to people and. Um, you know, I'm trying to just be like the the buffer to say, listen, and I try to be fair. I'll post stuff where I think, you know, the, the suspect was wrong, and then I posted uh the incident where uh Chauvin had his 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 knee and in Floyd's neck because that was horrible. Yeah. And I think it took for that for other officers to say, you know what? Yeah, we might have a problem. This this isn't right. So, you know, you had you had that separation as far as groups and the reform. Well, let me let me let me let me pause you for just a second with that because I want to um touch on something before we uh before you go too far. Hold on a second cuz I didn't I didn't somehow open up my damn emails and I don't want to do that. Um I know I'm struggling. I'm on the struggle bus today. Way too much multitasking. Can I can I, can I answer one thing Autumn because yeah. I getting older and if I don't answer this right now. Oh yes, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> It'll so go away. you asked me if I personally uh, was ever involved with an uh, um, uh, incident and where I had to choose police culture over what I thought was right. And I haven't, but I do know of an incident that occurred in a predominantly black community um, there was a, a black officer involved and there was a white officer involved. Um, basically, it started, I think it was a domestic, um, uh, the female suspect uh, was brought outside, to, you know, because we separate. Uh -huh. uh, she was brought outside, she was female, and she just happened to be talking to the white officer. And um, the, the white male officer escalated it uh -huh. by what he was saying and by his treatment of her and that black officer you know had to go over and say hey I got it I'll take care of it and then what happened long story short is when they you know came you know each officer has to write a police report based off what they did at a scene and 
those two police reports didn't add up. Mm-hmm. They they didn't. And a white uh, male sergeant had gone, and this this is probably about 15 years ago. Um, a white male sergeant had gone to the black male officer and said, "Hey, come here. I want to talk to you. Uh, there's a, a a problem with your report." And he was like, "Well, what's the problem?" He said, well, yours doesn't match the, the officer over there. He was like, well, that's what happened. And I think the sergeant tried to convince him to, to change it, and the officer stood his ground, and he never changed that report. Um, and he was he was blackballed for, for on my agency for years and years. And he eventually, I think like three or four years ago, eventually was able to get in detectives and move on from that. But he was blackballed for many years because of that. Um, but he can, and he'll tell you to this day, he said, Wes, I still have my, my dignity, my honor, because I did what was right. right. So, but so that was my, my incident. So I, I want to, and I'm actually glad that you mentioned that because that was going to tie into what I was going to bring up with the thin blue line uh, topic is that first of all, you was talking about that and I started laughing and I wasn't laughing as in like thin blue line is funny. Um, I was laughing in the sense of um, you're right. So, I mean, we, we all get things that we like ride hard for, right? We get these labels, whether it be, you know, your political affiliation your religious affiliation, the job you do, the organization you're with, what military branch you're with, whatever. Like we start taking on these identities and we get, we go hard for that, right? So I was just kind of chuckling with it because yes, that is a, a legitimate thing. Um, but I think, and this is also in conjunction with what you were saying as far as um, him being blackballed and stuff like that, is that I think that anytime you have an academy, any kind of organization where there is an academy setting, that's a part of the academy, right? Is to instill loyalty, to instill a certain mm-hmm. culture. Um, and uh, <clears throat> again, whether it's law enforcement, whether it's fire, whether it's EMS, whether it's military, whether it's uh, fraternity or sorority, any sort of like an academy type setting, um, that is a huge part of the goal of that is creating that that loyalty and the this is a brotherhood this is a family mm-hmm. this is a sisterhood right yeah. so do you think maybe a part of adjusting that culture starts with adjusting the academy and not necessarily to get rid of it because loyalty is important and it's necessary if i depend on you for my life i need to know that Absolutely. you got my back right um <laughs> But so is integrity, right? Which I know exactly. is another thing that we absolutely build into an academy. I come from a military background. I come from going through the stuff that I've been through with public safety. Integrity and loyalty. And it's a very blurred line if you're not careful of what those two mean to you, right? So you can have loyalty for somebody or an agency or a department or a um, profession. But if you don't have integrity, that's, you know, that's where you run into some of these problems, I think. But go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt no, so that, I mean, that's kind of my point. Do you think that part of it starts with an adjustment of the culture of the academy? I mean, is that, is that a thing? You, you know what, I, I, I think that's, that's interesting. So when you go through a police academy, yeah, you, you do, in a sense, feel that brotherhood, like almost within the first day or so yeah. to my brothers and sisters 
nobody else is going to hurt us. And, you know, cops want to go home at the end of the night, much like medics do um, and, and other uh, law enforcement and other public safety. Fire, everybody. You want to go home at the end of the day. And I think what happens is, like you said, some people get this uh, mochismo, um, and I think I think maybe Kate, you asked earlier um, something about when you when you mentioned reform, like how do you how do you get to a space where you think you are like the man, you're the cop, nobody can tell you anything, and you know you you think you you do you do all things right, like you can't do any wrong, and and I think I'm gonna be perfectly honest with you when when you're an officer, you have the ability to stop somebody's movement, right? whether that be on a traffic stop, whether that be because you are dispatched because some kids are being loud on the corner, you know, you have the ability to, 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 to stop somebody's motion. Like people want to get to work on time. Um, you know, kids may just be walking to the park, whatever the case is, it's a lot of power. But and Wes, 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 more than that, it's not just somebody's movement. You have the ability to stop some, to kill some, to take somebody's life. Somebody's freedom right. and take somebody's life. Yeah, right. So I was, I was going to get to that. So, so when, when you stop somebody's movement, you know, one, you got to have, you know, the probable cause and, you know, all of that stuff. And, um, you know, a lot of times officers, probably within that first one to three, three to five years, you you kind of lose a little bit of that mochismo if 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 you are really um, being a the type of law enforcement officer that that you that you should be. If you're treating people fairly and you're not out here just you know treating people horrible and talking to people any kind of way. You know, you're, you're yes, sir. And I, and I, 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 I talked talk to you about this before, but I, I start every car stop when I would stop people with, sir, ma'am. Mm -hmm. And your ticket or your warning and how you got treated was based off that conversation. I started every conversation the same. It never changed. Um, and, but some people don't lose that. Um, they call it contempt of cop, I think. Some people don't lose that ever. Mm -hmm. You know, it's what I say. Right. And if you don't do what I say, we got a problem. Some people just never lose it. Black, white, Spanish, it doesn't matter. Female, male, there are some officers who just never really lose that contempt of, of cop. And it just kind of can escalate situations. Um, and there's, there's a, a, the Philly, the Philly uh, old Philly commissioner. He said that most of the time, officers, when when you when you 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 have encounters with people, you you get them at that like one percent, and they're willing to fight you for it, right? They're, they're willing to fight you. They're at their worst. They can't go any lower, and some people are willing to fight you for it. And 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 that's what officers got to keep that in mind you know, for, for for different encounters um, and dealing with different people, different races, you know. Different socioeconomic statuses, like that, all matters. It all, it all matters. And I think that's what the so. importance of community policing is about, because it gives you an opportunity to get to learn people that <clears throat> are not like you. 
how people live, how people interact, what is important to people, what they value, uh, what they consider respectful and disrespectful. You know, if I'm coming into a situation and I don't understand this culture, or I don't understand this group of people or how they interact with each other, then yet I'm basing everything in this interaction off of what me and my friends do or what me and my community does. And that may not necessarily apply. You know what I mean? And then, so that's how I think, um, I do think that there's, it's hugely important um, that community policing be um, a thing. And, you know, um, I, I, there's, there's, there's value in that. There really is. There's value. In that. And I know that there are some departments that require their officers to live in the communities that they police for a certain amount of time uh, for that very reason also, because now you are personally invested in that community. And then you have some agencies in Delaware that, you know, allow you to live outside and, and that's fine. But you know, the whole premise behind some of these agencies allowing officers to take home their police cars is, again, it's community policing. It's part of the package. Oh, an officer lives there. Not necessarily so you can always go and knock if you got an issue, but just to say, hey, how you doing? You know, thank you for your service. Whatever the case is, right? It's, it's, for, it's for show. It's for, you know, uh, presence. Right. You know, it's showing that you have law enforcement people living in your community. And that's important. But, you know, I think one of the things as far as reform is in academy, when you're teaching the brotherhood, you also got to have the open dialogue questions. I'll give you a perfect example, right, with, with, with black people and, and, white, and white people, right, is, you know, Kate, when you were passionate about what you were just saying, I, you know, you don't do all of this from what I can tell from just the few minutes we've been on this conversation, right, from, but Autumn is a... Oh, really? Oh, you gonna right? call me out? Cause I'm doing yeah, all no, this. No, 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 no. I'm just trying to give you a perfect example. <laughs> and if I'm a rookie officer, right. And I'm presented with that, right? And I don't, and I don't know Autumn. Why are you so aggressive? Right. Why are you? You know, and some officers have said, "Oh, I, I, I took this," or they menaced me. No, that like some people talk with their hands. Like you know, it's. It's part of the culture. That's how we get our points across. We, you know, right. we, we get these. Right. You know, there are a lot of things I think we got to open up and have dialogue about very early in police academy and not have these officers, male or female, figure it out after right. they graduate and now they just get thrown into it. You know, whether that be bringing some scenarios, and they already do, you know, scenarios and things like that. But I think, you know, now you got we have we've had training on implicit bias like everybody has you know perfect example would be my my old lieutenant uh we were somewhere and we were getting watermelon i was like oh black people like watermelon he's the only person i know in my life black male that i've known that does not like watermelon <laughs> <laughs> and i was like what he he doesn't won't touch it being biased in a month. I thought that, that was, I thought that that was, like, I don't think that's racist, but that's just something I grew up with, right? It's a bias. Like, what am I? Yeah. And when he was like, no, I looked at him like, well, that's weird. So, you know, just, just you little things like that, right? You feed it to the yeah. stereotype. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, but, but just think about how small that is. Right. But then take something, a, a, a big difference. Yeah. You know, 
that's 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 bigger. And now you got to add in, you know, maybe drugs or alcohol. You got to add in, you know, you don't know how people live at home. You got to add in now they they know that they're about to go to jail. Right. Because maybe they got a warrant. You add all of that in and sometimes, you know, unfortunately it, it ends up being like a deadly mix. Right. And, you know, as far as reform, you know, we just got to make sure that we are, you know, still want to hire the best of the best, you know. And, um, let, let me ask you this too, Wes, um, in, in talking about the academy setting in particular, but also in, um, I've been taking notes. I haven't been just looking down erroneously. Um, I have lots to remember. Um, in, is there anything that you can talk about or speak to from your experiences? Is there any follow-up as your career progresses with any kind of psychological reevaluations? Are there any, um, you know, as you progress in your career, like we all know, it just, you continue to build up and build up and build up the experiences, good or bad. And so if you don't have a good outlet or if you're not in the best mental health, um, secondary to whatever, or things you've been through or your past trauma before you became a law enforcement officer, is there any type of follow-up post academy setting that is mandatory and or um, I know we all, most of us in public safety, for those of you watching and listening, uh, most agencies have a, um, a critical incident stress management, some sort of framework, or they have the ability to seek out mental health um, resources if you so need that. That being said, it's not a mandatory thing in most cases. Um, is there something that with your agency or other agencies that you know about, was there anything to kind of follow up and weed out any potential issues or things that brew within certain individuals? Or if you start noticing something about somebody within your organization, I just, uh, I think that that's another part of this too, right? Like we can catch a little bit at the beginning, but once we cut everybody loose, kind of on their own. It's kind of interesting you ask that. So, but I wrote up a proposal. Um, I retired last year. So I wrote up a proposal the year after I was promoted in 2014. And I wrote it based off of everything that you just said. And I will just speak from my own experience is, you know, um, unfortunately, you know, I've been through separations. Um, you know, my, my daughter, while I was on shift one night, very young officer had a seizure and I heard my address coming over the radio and I had to leave what I was doing to go and get to my daughter. Um, and you know, you have deaths in the family and you have family members that have deaths in the family that affect you. And um, all of those things and then being part of the community services unit at the time, and then just newly being promoted, I was like, all right, I'm gonna put this proposal in. And my proposal was to have officers, you know, the in, in theory, you get 20 years, right? And I was saying that every five, that's what you just said, every five years, that officer, every officer has to go to a shrink or whatever people call them, a therapist just to talk about whatever they choose to and not necessarily a fit for duty kind of evaluation but just to get some things off your chest 
to talk about. Yeah, I was separated, you know, it was tough, whatever the case is, because while you're going through all these things, and officers, you know, on, on our department lost children, right. have lost family, you know, members who are officers. Uh, we've had also had, you know, officers have like medical issues, like HQ. Uh, we, you know, one of the biggest things is, you know, we had a brother get killed in the line of duty. My, my classmate, you know, um, got killed in the line of duty. Um, so you talk about dealing with all of that and still having to go out and perform at a high level. And let's go back to the academy where you're taught nothing hurts you. Mm-hmm. You're you're a machine, you know. You got to run, and you know, autumn, you're tested this. You got to show up for that next shift, and you got to, you know, you got to be in uniform, and you got to keep it moving. And you know, all of those things, you know, seeing um, Sid's death, uh, um, you know, at during a shift, all of those things affect you. So I was like, hey, every five years, you know, have them go get evaluated, something light, nothing major. Just document it for, you know, not only for the officer, but for liability for the agency. So I'm, I'm thinking as a supervisor at that point. And I said, this would not only cover the agency, if there is a controversial incident with a particular officer, we could say, you know, hey, well, they had this going on. Maybe we should have, you know, got them some additional treatment or whatever the case is. But my, that proposal had gotten shot down because, People at the time thought that it would get tied to fit the duty. And I understood that, but I'm thinking how you are. Like, wait a minute, it's a lot of trauma that officers, and now, you know, medics can go on scene and see uh, fatal accidents. And I went through 25 years, Autumn, I've never seen a fatal accident, a fatal car accident ever. You believe that? No. Where somebody that, that was dead from a, a fatal accident. I've never seen it. Are you serious? I'm dead serious. No pun intended. But I have seen plenty of SIDS deaths. I have seen, you know, other types, but never a fatal car accident ever. And I don't know if that's just luck, but I've never seen it in 25 years. Definitely. And so, you know, I just felt like, and again, this is post. Uh, Mike Brown um, and like post Trayvon Martin, and I think there was another incident that happened that was controversial with police, and it just kind of like clicked. You know what? Maybe we got to start getting evaluated. Oh, and and not to mention, not only did one of my classmates get killed in the line of duty, I had one of my best buds on the job committed suicide. Um, so, deal, you know, dealing with all of that and still having to deal with the public, still have to be, like you said, it doesn't matter. You still got to have integrity. You still got to treat people with respect. But nobody comes really to check on you and say, Wes, you good? Or officers don't want that because it makes you look weak. And, you know, you you get taught very early on that you can't look weak. You got to be in control of the situations. And we can tell by what's going on right now, a lot of officers just aren't in control of the situations. Clearly. Sometimes they just turn bad. And, ugly. Yeah. 
And and I don't know. I I'm not gonna say that all of them have to do a race because I don't know. I, I don't know any of those officers uh personally. You know, you only hear about the, you know, this guy got like a swastika on his bedroom wall after the fact. So right. looking at the incidents with trying to look at them with unbiased eyes, I, I, I can't confirm anybody's racism. I can just tell you that there are a lot of factors that go into officers losing control sometimes on these scenes and they just can't get it back. And when they don't get it back, it results sometimes in people dying. So it's unproportionately being black males. So let me, let me, and Katie, you can jump into with this. Let me add a, a, a piece to that because we also talked about implicit bias and you made a good point about sometimes things getting away from us, but we also talked, you talked about the watermelon thing. I said, you, you feed into the stereotype, right? <laughs> so here's the thing. Uh, what I think, because when we mention implicit bias, people immediately become defensive, immediately, because they think that that's synonymous with racism, and that's not true. Implicit bias is literally a medical phenomenon that your every single person's brain is doing in order to create shortcuts for the purposes of survival, right? So your brain doesn't have to, to continuously work through this thought process. It goes, the last time I had a similar interaction, it resulted in this or that. Yes. So I immediately come into the next thing with something similar with that same viewpoint because my brain, it's not a conscious thought. It's not in the, it's not you sat there and you go, I don't like this black person because the last time I saw, no, somewhere in the back of your mind, the last 30 black people that you interacted with we're all jerks or whatever because of the line of work that you do. That's just the line of work that you do, right? So you immediately go, well, this black person, your brain has created that shortcut that this black person is also going to be a jerk, right? So I think part of the importance of those medical evaluations and things like that too, or just the counseling is exposing those things too, because that stuff builds up over time. You may not have had those biases day one, but day 1,099, now I do, because I police a certain sector and everybody who lives in that sector looks a certain way. And every, every call that I'm called to in that sector is a domestic or somebody's, or this, that, and the other. So now every time I see, you know what I mean? My brain has created these biases and that's how we that those things start to get out of control because I came in and I can't even explain to you why. Because if you talk to me on my day off, I'd be like, no, I don't got no problem with black people. No, I ain't got no problem with women. Or no, I ain't got no problem with, you know what I mean? But when I'm in that moment where I got to make that split decision, my brain relies on all the other instances that I didn't even consciously know of to make that split decision. So we need to be more intent, my belief, and, and y'all can tell me what you believe. My belief is that we need to be more intentional about addressing those biases that we are coming in with, but those biases that are also being created along the way in law enforcement. Well, in every, any profession, health profession, any, any service where you, where you got somebody's life in your hands, that needs to be addressed. So, I mean, 
Yeah, and I think to, to touch on the same thing is that if we can't get as far as to having everybody in a first responder or public safety capacity be psychologically evaluated to try to find those trigger points for them, um, training. Every first responder, law enforcement, any, any type of public safety member typically has continuing education that's required. I cannot tell you, I can actually count probably on one hand how many kind of re-educations that I've had on psychological stuff, how to take care of myself, how right. to be Or biases. It's completely gone. Or biases. Yeah. I mean, you, and to really kind of get, I wrote a few things down. Shocking. Um, <laughs> do you think that there's some level of interaction that occurs when someone doesn't look the same as us, as each other? Do we inherently or implicitly treat them differently because we can't identify with them. Absolutely. I think absolutely. How do we move yeah. past that? You know, I, I would say, yeah, that, that, that happens. And I, I think, yes, it's, it's muscle memory because you've dealt with, you know, some of the lowest of the low. And then like Autumn said, you come across this next person and you automatically have grouped them into the lowest of the low. And, and, and you have, they haven't even opened their mouth yet. And, um, you know, the, the biggest complaint that comes into the police agency. What, what, do you, what, what do you think that is, Katie? I, I couldn't even tell you. The, other than somebody talking some kind of way to somebody or like, right. the, me, I, don't, I don't know. The, the, one of the number one complaints that comes into a police agency is the, the, the verbal treatment or the officer didn't listen to me or the officer was rude to me. And officers, and again, it, it, it goes back to that I'm the I'm the man. I'm just saying, man, because you know, I'm the man or woman in this uniform. What I say goes, and if you don't listen, we got a problem. And it, and, it, and it, it, that's where we got to kind of and 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 granted, there are some situations that if you go into, you you, you can't kind of go in for lack of a better word. You can't go in soft. You got to go and make sure and say, hey. Right. <laughs> the situation is under control immediately because if not it's, it's life or death right for for both parties involved so i'm not saying that what i'm saying is those situations where you can kind of fall back and you can be courteous and you can extend that olive branch like officers got to start doing that right and until we do notice i said we because i'm i still very much see myself as an officer, and I still, I, again, love the profession, and I want all my guys and girls to come home safely. Mm -hmm. But until we start doing that, you know, you're going to have these incidents that just turn bad and cause national uh, unrest um, and some other stuff, you know. And um, I, I think it just, you know, we got to an academy, you got to get them early with the implicit bias. You got to get them early with maybe bringing in, you know, different people from different communities and running scenarios that way. Um, you know, because when you do academy scenarios where there's a domestic and I let you and 
Autumn, Kate and Autumn, you guys are the the role players, you know, and you know, it's, everything's controlled, right? Um, you know, you're kind of controlling that environment. You can't really simulate real life, real functional domestic in progress until you actually go on one. So that's why I always well, look. Nobody, no, nobody ever asked me because I can act. <laughs> it, it can get crazy. But that's that's what I mean, and that's what they need. But you know, and but that's why, and I I still do it now, even if on Facebook, if I'm going with somebody, I say, hey, listen, you ever been on a ride along? No, go. Yeah. As a matter of fact, and I always tell people do three, almost like when you you get damaged to your car in an accident, and you get three estimates. I say go do a do a ride along with the state police, do the county police, and then I say pick another like local, other smaller agency. And just just ride along, and then come back to me. Let me know what you what you think. Um, and then a lot of times that helps people understand what officers go through that through that night. I mean, you can literally go from like I said, a SIDS death. Then the next thing you know, it's a domestic in progress. And then the next thing you know, you got to you go into a, a fatal accident. So that's three traumatic traumatic calls for service, right? And almost in a row. And you don't get a break from that. <laughs> Dispatch is still sending you to call after call. So that was my thinking behind that proposal to say, hey, listen, if you don't start talking to these officers, and I've, I've been part of it. You mentioned the SISM team. I've been a part of the, uh, uh, you know, the, the critical incident stress management team. I've been a part of it. Um, and even during them situations, officers don't want to talk. Right. You know, they don't, they don't want to you know, I've had officers that just shot somebody, uh, you know, an hour or two before, and it's just like, yo, you good? And, and, and you know, you don't really talk the, the, the incident with them, but you just say you want something to drink. or And a lot of them don't even know the space or time that they're in. So, you know, I just felt like that mental health piece was important. And you add the job, and then you add what's going on in your personal life to all of that. Something's got to give. And, it, and it's, it's a lot.